Oh, Aslan, said she, it was kind of you to come. I have been here all the time, said he, but you have just made me visible. Aslan, said Lucy, almost a little reproachfully, don't don't make fun of me, as if anything I could do would make you visible. It did, said Aslan. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we forget that we're supposed to start the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. And thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 10, The Magician's Book. The Magician's Book, The Darkhold, The, uh, the Book of Ashanti, whatever. Yeah, the MacGuffin of all MacGuffins. MacGuffin of MacGuffins. Um, so Chase, I'd love to give us a summary real quick. I'd love to hear that summary, Cal. Good. Uh, I, I'm sure you have no idea what's about to be said. Yeah, I told uh, you to write it like an hour ago. For sure. The invisible people threw the Narnians a royal feast, and what a feast it was. It was funny to see the plates and food moving around as if they were floating, and even better because it was clear that they moved in large high jumps so nothing was smooth or graceful i wonder if that means anything for the uh, appearance of our of our future uh, invisible creatures eustace and edmund theorized that maybe they weren't humans at all but were more like large grasshoppers or frogs which you know don't tell lucy because she's apparently uh, you know very scared of large grasshoppers and the whole meal was rather messy and the invisible people all just agreed with each other the whole time and made general uh, basic observations about things like the night being dark or water being wet Truly an argument to be made there. Uh, Lucy awoke the next morning and was ordered to go up the stairs to do her task. She said goodbye to the others and began up the staircase in the house. She came to the top of the stairs and found a long hallway running the length of the house with doors on either side. It was eerily quiet. She saw two twins at the very end and rode her bicycle. Nope, sorry, wrong movie. Um, (laughs) She knew she was supposed to go to the last door on the left and hated that she had to walk past all those other doors, knowing a logician, a magician uh, lurked somewhere in the house. As she walked down the hallway, it didn't help that all the doors had strange signs written in scarlet letters, and there were creepy eyeless masks on the walls. And at one point, she got a fright because a tiny bearded face appeared next to her, but it turned out to be just a small mirror with a wig and a beard attached to it, like everyone has. The corridor felt like it got longer as she, walked, as she was walking down it, but she finally reached her door. It was a larger room lined with large books, but the one she was looking for was lying on a reading desk in the middle of the room. The book itself was huge, and worse, the chief voice hadn't been able to tell her where in the books uh, the spell to fix uh, them would be. He just thought she'd start at the beginning and go through, but that could take days or weeks. And so she started through it. The book was amazing. The pages were handwritten. There were spells for everything from getting getting rid of warts to giving a man the head of a donkey. And the images were so lifelike, it was as if they were moving. Then she came to a page that stood out from the pictures it read. An infallible spell to make beautiful her that uttereth it beyond the lot of mortals. Lucy looked more closely at the pictures and they became clear to her. And she saw a girl 
that looked just like her. She was even dressed the same. And in the next picture, she was chanting something. And in the in in the she in the very next picture, she saw herself with the beauty beyond the lot of mortals. It was as if the pictures were life-size, staring back at her. After a while, the real Lucy had to look away because the beauty was too much. Then she saw herself in a throne above a tournament, and then wars were being fought for her. And then she was back in England, and Susan had come back, and she was jealous and also super ugly. Lucy found herself saying, I will say the spell. I don't care. I'll do it. Even though she knew inside, she mustn't. But when she looked back at the opening word, she saw the great face of a lion, Aslan himself, staring back at her. And she could see by the expression in the picture, he was not happy. In fact, he was growling. She turned the page and went on. She came to a spell that would allow you to know what your friends really think of you. She decided, since she was so good and didn't actually uh, read the one about being beautiful, that she would, you know, fulfill her fancy and uh, read this one and talk. And she hears uh, two of her friends talking bad about her on a train. And she becomes angry with them. After this, she decides she doesn't want to see any of the other friends' pictures. And she reads a story next that, Chase, it was the best story that she'd ever read. But she couldn't turn the pages back to read it again. And she immediately forgot what it was about. She turned more pages and more pages and finally came to a spell that said, a spell to make hidden things visible. She saw new images, both great and terrifying, appear on the page where they hadn't been before. And then heard great footsteps in the hallway. She wondered if it might be the magician, because as everyone knows, the great magician walks around without shoes on. But then she looked to the doorway and lo and behold, she saw Aslan standing there. Lucy said it was so kind for him to come, but he said he'd been there whole, the whole time. She just made him visible. He pointed out that she'd been eaves, that she had been eavesdropping, and Lucy realizes she might have st uh, stayed friends with the other girl if she hadn't listened to the book. Aslan reminds her that no one has ever told what would have happened. Then Lucy asks if she would ever get to read that amazing story again, if Aslan could tell it to her. And Aslan says, yes, he would tell it to her for years and years. But we're not going to talk about that because that's a different story for a different time. But for but first, they must go and meet the master of the house, keeper of the book, uh, Chase. That's a uh, that's our chapter. Man, it. Uh, I've really been thinking that I need to uh, add some beards and wigs to my mirrors. Man, what a what a fun joke to play on people, you know? I'm I'm just everywhere I go. Walking through a store, you see a mirror in that store. Boom! A nice little Santa beard to it. I feel like love it. A fun game. Love it. Uh, you know, mustaches. Yeah, will look like Kel. Hey, you know, don't we all want a good mustache, Chase? Don't we all? You could, I think, rock a mustache. I feel like I'd look creepy with a mustache, but it's confidence, man. You just got to own it. I mean. I don't have that confidence, Kel. I would be reading this <laughs> what my friends think of me. Chase, Chase's temptations are somehow the same temptations that our stereotypical 1950s, uh, you know, fictional girl has. So, yeah, look, I've said for years at this point that I'm a 40 year old white woman and I, yeah, I mean, you don't got to read my mail like that to all these listeners. Oh, sorry, man. I appreciate, uh, I, you know, my B. But we come upon uh, where we last left off with a great feast being served by the invisible people. And you know how you threaten someone and then five minutes later throw them a feast? It's at this point, I would be, I'd be real confused if I was the Narnians because you're like, why, 
like these people are not that threatening. So They're what not is that threatening? They're obviously not very smart. They move like frogs jumping. Yeah, because they'll carry plates with soup in them. Because what we see is that these plates that they're being like, so they don't see them until the like plates are being delivered to the table. Right. Um, and all of a sudden you just see these plates bound 15 feet in the air and then hover about three feet from the floor. So as we'll learn in the next chapter, I believe we are like the creatures, spoiler alert, like Chase said in the last chapter, they are a foot with a long slender body. That's just a leg. And a head, I believe, correct? I think so. Another case of have not yet read the next chapter, but uh yeah, these but needless to say, they are they're one leg, more or less. That's the premise of their body. And they jump, so they're about three feet tall normally, and they jump 15 feet in the air, Chase. Unbelievable. These are like those flying lions we talked about previously. They got ups. If if they could play basketball, if they were coordinated, they would be dunking on you. They're lacing up shoes that they found in an orphanage, and they're saying, make me like Mike. I think their shoes are just their clothes. I, I think that's, that's just their outfit. If you're just a leg and a foot, and you have a shoe, that's your outfit. Is it? Because you can't wear a, you think a short some, or a pant. Some of them are right-footed and some of them are left-footed? That's a great question, honestly. Now, which which direction do the toes slant? On or do they have do they have a big toe? Or is it just the, like, like is it just a, a set hard? of, like, it, it could be just, you know, five or whatever number toes that are all the same. So that way it's not either foot. It's just... It's just a like an ambiguous foot. Yeah. It just be it would just be like imagine like a like a like a swim flipper where you can put either shoe in or either foot in it. It's a it's a visual bit that I'm doing right now, making all my fingers. Which is really, really good for a an audio visual uh, an audio medium. So but you know what? I enjoyed it. So, you know. Hey, that's what we're here for is our enjoyment. But they, uh, so they're jumping up and down and everything. And Eustace whispers to Edmund, I'm beginning to feel like these people might be not human. Probably a fair assumption at this point. Uh, you know, you're in Narnia and you're seeing invisible creatures and they're jumping 15 feet in the air. Yeah. I mean. Safe, safe assumption. I feel like the assumption that they were human in the first place is, is a weird move. Yeah, considering they Even where they only are and they hear them by thumping. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I don't think there were was anything to indicate that they were invisible humans in the yeah. first place. But I do like that Eustace and Edmund are just like randomly tight to the point that they're whispering to each other at a party. Hey, dude, uh, all it takes is an apology, man. I guess so. Man, you find someone post dragon, and that that binds you for <laughs> Listen, life. Man, once you've been a dragon, it changes you, dude. It uh, for it's real. Like, it's like mushrooms. <laughs> it more or less. What a trip. But uh, it describes more the affirming affirming nature of the 
affirming uh, nature of the invisible people and how they would more or less just say things that are true and then agree with each other. So it's hard to disagree where it's like, mm, getting dark now always does at night. Or, ah, oh, you've come over the water. Powerful, wet stuff, ain't it? Uh, which, like, I think is a great sure. response. Like, anytime someone tells me they've gone fishing or gone to the ocean, I think that's my new remark now is like, ah, wet stuff, water. I mean, but, this sounds like people, this just sounds like an introvert who's really bad at small talk. It for sure does. Um, like, oh, man. So the, that water, huh? pretty wet stuff you know but like Chase, yeah. as a as a student pastor i'll let you know man the the water is wet argument it that's a real one and it is not universally agreed upon yeah unfortunately look the one from my time in student ministry was can you see a black hole that was see, a year-long argument see y'all were having like you know, real philosophical, scientific discussions. Whereas mine that I ask my students are like, yo, is a hot dog a sandwich? And then it it's chaos and rioting. I'm pretty sure it's a taco, but... Um, I, I would lean in your direction, I believe. Um, or is a taco a sandwich? Or is that all a calzone? Who, who personally, I'm, I'm either... the difference between regents and, and public school. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to say, my friend, but uh, I went I'm, to public school and I had a great time. I'm taking some offense real quick, uh, but uh, like I'm, I'm inclined to believe that, you know, a taco or a hot dog is either a taco or that everything is a sandwich, depending. Like, I think a sandwich could be just a very broad term. It's the umbrella that fits a lot of different things under its category. Uh, but Again, these are these are the debates I have. You know, how many holes are in a straw? One, two, zero. Uh, you never know. Uh, but all this to say, they're uh, ultimately these creatures are kind of just naive, dumb, and uh, they just agree with everything. But back to the story that's really important: Lucy going up the stairs because apparently they're just camped out right in front of the house and. Yeah. I'm really curious. What is the magician doing this whole time? Is he also invisible? I I think so. I think that I again have not read the next chapter, but if, if I, I remember, remember correctly, the magician was also invisible, but he's also just kind of been watching them. I, the whole I time. believe that if if things serve me correctly, I'm pretty sure the magician is benign. He is a yeah. He he's not doing anything mean or wicked. I can't remember the like reasoning for why the creatures became scared and did anything. But I think it was a dad told me to do chores I didn't want to do. I'm gonna throw a fit situation. That sounds right. Um, but so the magician, I'm pretty sure, is just watching, waiting, commiserating, uh, and learning about all the small things from Blink 182. But He's just chilling, I think. Uh, but yeah, so they're apparently just camped out right in front of the house, which again, should tell you something about the magician that he's not actually there to harm you, where it's like, you just camped out in front of a magician's house in very plain sight, and he didn't do anything. 
I mean, he easily on, could. Only some of them are in plain sight, Cal. That's kind of the plot of the story. Fair enough. But there's still like they didn't get attacked or anything. Yeah, there's no fireballs. No one's yet they're turning into donkeys. There's not bees being thrown at them. Which are all things that could have been happening, apparently. Yeah, if Uh, we learned anything from this book, it's that the magician could be doing literally whatever he wants. This book is the book of Ashanti. Could be. But, so Lucy goes up the stairs that are right in front of her uh, and walks up. And it's a long walk. And then she takes a left uh, and sees a giant hallway with a bunch of doors. Very Scooby-Doo-esque. Very, uh, you know, shining, reminiscent. It definitely felt like a haunted house. Like yeah. the more and more that he describes it, it's like, oh, you're just describing a haunted house. All these scary doors with scary markings, eyeless masks that look like they're staring at you. That might be real. That might be not. Random face that jumps out. They literally like Lucy has a jump scare in this yeah. in this chapter. It's it's so weird because the jump scare. Like, I think the the purpose is to try and be creepy, but it's creepy with lack of perspective. You know, it's it's something is scary because the lights are off and you think you see a creature in the darkness, but then you turn the lights off and or lights on and it's just a sweater on a lampstand. Like, it's, I don't think this is like an actual scary house. It's just like a giant mansion that happens to be creepy because of the like, information that lucy is working on but then you see this mirror that's just a beard and a wig and so lucy's like oh my god an old man's looking at me and then she looks at it and sees her own face with a beard and a wig and she's like oh thank god it was just you know a beard and a wig on this mirror but i have decided now that i don't want a beard i mean glad that she had the chance to work out whether she wanted to rock a beard or not but what i love from that scene is that C.S. Lewis makes sure to put in parentheses so we know, I don't know what the bearded glass was for because I'm not a magician. C.S. Lewis, you made this. <laughs> C.S. Lewis over here doing bits in the middle of his story. Just like, hey, look, I don't magicians even know why are, I wrote that in. Hey, listen, He's magicians there. are weird. Uh, I, you know, chalk this up to the same thing that I chalk up a lot of Aberforth Dumbledore stuff to. It's like, eh, probably just don't want to know. Uh, you just, you know, don't worry about it. He's a weird dude. He's got a mirror that you can see people through. Has a has a thing for goats. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. So, one of the spoiler alert, most disappointing things about the uh, Secrets of Dumbledore. Secret of, Secrets of Dumbledore movie. We didn't get a lot of goat no go- content. <laughs> no goats. No goats <laughs> at all, man. Uh, if you were I looking, it's such a core aspect of his character. Like, truly, it is if shocking were, that we didn't get a single goat in that. It's really funny because it's it's only a core aspect of his character in the like the deep Harry Potter world, where it's like if you were if you're like a real real into the nerd dumb kind of thing, it's the running like Aberforth is kind of a meme of just like tell me about the goats. Why is there was an incident with a goat? And they had to move. That's all we're that, going to say. That's all That's all that we're told. I'm convinced that the goat was an animagus. That's my personal opinion. Did that animagus? Hey, uh, wait, hold on. Hold on. Super spoilers for Secret of Dumbledore. If you don't want super spoilers, skip ahead like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. Is this goat animagus Credence's mother? 
that is my working theory because Aberforce, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Expected Patronum. Aberforce Patronus is a goat. It's a goat. And if we've learned anything about Patronuses and Animagus, true love. Oh my word! You love an Animagus, dude. Your Patronus becomes their Animagus. So, oh my word! I would. I would. I I feel like we need to submit this to one of those theory making videos on YouTube Uh, because this could be something that I think about instead of having to rage at the lack of a plot in the movie. Don't worry about it. Okay. Spoiler done for Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, we're back to C.S. Lewis. So as we return to the world of C.S. Lewis, uh, we come back to Lucy and she's finally reached the last door. Uh, after the corridor, it seemed to grow longer and longer. Uh, she finally gets to the place that she wanted to go. And Chase, she comes upon a giant like study of some sort, like a library. It's lined with books. I don't know why they don't just call it the library instead of like, he, he feels the need to describe and it's CS Lewis. So he does what he does. He feels the need to describe the room and its size and how many books there are and how large the books are. If it's a room just with books, that's lined floor to ceiling with books, just call that a library. It's a library. Like dumb gripe, but it's still a gripe. I I had the exact same gripe, man. Uh, But she, you know, She's a bunch of, you know, books like she's never seen, bigger than any Bible, leather bound, smelling old and learned and magical. And then she comes upon the book, the magic book, the book, the the book that, uh, you know, is uh, the poison for Cusco, Cusco's poison, that poison, that book. And she, it is sitting in the middle of a reading desk that she will have to stand to read. I mean, bummer. I guess better for your health. Sandy desks are in. C.S. Lewis uh, ahead of the curve, saying, yeah. "Hey, let's uh, let's get you some ergonomic, uh, like friendly uh, desk situation." C.S. Lewis just cares about her posture, you know. Yeah, totally. I he mean, wants that's her why to be the most beautiful being in the world. And everyone knows if you're going to be beautiful, can't slump. That's how it goes. Uh, both Chase and I rolled our shoulders uh, to make sure that we're sitting with good posture now because we were reminded about posture. <laughs> I'm still not because I'm on a couch that is not going to let me. It but. happens, man. But as she goes to shut the door behind her, the door wouldn't shut. And C.S. Lewis puts in this stuff where it's like, we haven't had a ton of these in this book. But he goes, some people may disagree with Lucy, but I would think she was was right. And basically describes that it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the door not shutting, but it's a little bit like unsettling when you have your back to an open door, especially when there's an unknown magician that could be walking through. And uh, it's that weird, like, I mean, it's weird because it's so unnecessary to the story. Yeah. But also, C.S. Lewis just wants to get in opinions about things like which direction do your feet face when you're sleeping in a room? Yeah. Or would it's, you ever sleep with the door open? Like, no. It's like, this is not, like, I get it. I agree with you, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes, it's, it's an unnecessary opinion that I agree with. You know, it, he's described basically my sentiment in sitting in restaurants. I don't like having my back to the door because I need to know if someone's you were coming in. The in. Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows I am a Navy SEAL. 
Sorry, yeah. I'm I have navy colored shirts and I've seen a seal. You've seen a I'm, seal? That's pretty I'm, cool, dude. I mean, I've seen you know, like like the seals, like you seal something with. Oh, okay, you know. okay, okay. But you know, uh, but yeah, it's like I don't. I like to know where my exits are. I like to know if something sketchy is happening. You know, I don't want to be the one that's like, wait, what just happened? And then I get killed. You know, that's a bummer. If I'm going to kill, I want to, I want to know about it. You want at least 50% of the room to get killed before you get killed. Yeah. Well, I want to have a chance to be a hero chase or to hide under a table and cower in fear either, or I I want the opportunity, the realistic option. Sure. Sure. Uh, but whatever. So, uh, she decides nothing that can be done about it. So she goes back to the book uh, and Chase, the book is massive. How is she going to find this single spell? This book is bigger than any Bible, bigger than the Gutenberg uh, Bible. How is she going to find this single spell for making people invisible? Especially when there's no title page, no table of contents, and the chief voice didn't tell her where the heck anything. The book it is. Literally anything. Uh, but she decides, you know what, let's just go for it. And uh, so she opens the book and what a book it was, says C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's written, not printed. It's beautiful. It's really, really intricate and well-designed. And there's pictures that look like they're moving. It's straight up out of Harry Potter. Uh, and it's just a gorgeous book. Uh, you know, uh, a, I think this is, it's one of those meta commentaries that's like some authors will put in where it's like, isn't reading lovely says the author who's asking you to read their book. You know, it's the, the, my favorite version of that is like when JK Rowling does it, because it's always like tongue in cheek or like this book is dangerous. Yes, man. The only way thing that could corrupt a good child is a bad book. As opposed to being after all the, all the Christian soccer moms tried to ban her book. Which you and I have talked about this. It's funny in the like the canon of Christianity for fiction books that Harry Potter kind of got dunked on, but books like Narnia and Lord of the Rings, which yeah. have magicians and wizards and sorcerers, are like accepted as like these are Christian books. Yeah, and less morally clear than a Harry Potter. Which J.K. Rowling is very open about having taken direct stuff from the gospel. Yeah, which like... You have have a main character who dies on behalf of his friends and loved ones so that they can live and then returns. I mean... The explicit plot of the series is self-sacrificial love conquers the greatest evil literally quote scripture on several occasions, like on Dumbledore's tomb, the last enemy to be, or not Dumbledore's tomb. This is, I think that's the Peveril's tomb uh, is the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But that's a death eater idea. Or like, think about it a little bit. It's, it's a whole thing, you know, but say la vie. Uh, But yeah, it's a life. It's it's this you know idea of like yes let's you know the author giving appreciation to reading big fan I like the trope it's a trope for a reason uh, but she begins looking at the spells and Chase there are so many worthless interesting things 
that they just that he just decides to like say in this book that could exist like that will never come to fruition you know there's a what is it Chekhov's gun is like the principle that if you bring something up in a story you have to use it that assumes that the writer is efficient Cal this is this is taking this and completely going no I'm going to mention so many things that we're never going to use like let me describe book. every blade of grass to you as we walk through this yeah. forest. Well, that even describing the, describing the blades of grass, it's one thing to put detail. It's another thing to go, all right, like, let's just try to walk through some of the spells that are in this book that we will never see used. There's one for a cure for warts. There's one for toothache and cramp. There's one for uh, taking a swarm of bees. Does that mean that you get rid of the swarm of bees or you summon the swarm of bees? It doesn't say, Chase. It doesn't say. But uh, there's all of those. Um, There's one to, you know, find buried treasure. One to remember things forgotten. One to forget things that you want to forget. Uh, One to tell if anyone was speaking the truth. One to control the weather. What in the world? Uh, One to produce enchanted sleep one to give a person a donkey's head yeah that's the word just Uh, like they did to poor bottom (laughs) he's uh you know uh for the listener who is not reading along with us that was not a joke that i was making that is a joke that c.s lewis made in parentheses in this book yep uh it's so it's like all these all these crazy things, and there's going to be more. And she's just thumbing through all the pictures and all the things like that. And she comes to one chase, and this is where we, like, it's this is the fifth book. This is our third adventure with Lucy. I guess third and a half, if you want to count uh, a horse and his boy, because you technically see her a little bit. So we'll call it three and a half books of Lucy. And we finally see a moment of fallibility with her other than maybe naivete and a little bit of an, un, like a, a willingness and, you know, a little bit of lack of caution towards kidnapping. Uh, First and only character flaw that has come up explicitly her, written into the story. Her, her only character flaw is so stereotypical 1950s fictional female because the things she struggles with, Chase, is wanting to be pretty, mm-hmm. as every girl does, and 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 no guy does. Yeah, guys don't care about their appearance. Guys are gross, but girls, man, they want to be so pretty you die. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first one. There's a second temptation that she will fall for in a little bit that is related, but basically she starts reading this and looking at the pictures because she's intrigued because it's how uh, to make beautiful, like make someone so beautiful that it is beyond the capability of mortals. And she starts looking and she sees a picture of a girl that's dressed exactly like Lucy reading a book, standing up at a reading desk. That's peculiar, Chase. I wonder if that's like Lucy. Don't worry. C.S. Lewis is going to tell you in two lines, hey, the girl in the picture actually is Lucy because if you couldn't, you know, understand what I was spelling out for you. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. 
Yeah. Who needs subtext, Kel? Who needs it when you can just have text, right? Uh, I have subtlety when you can hit me over the head with it. Bingo. Uh, I have a mallet that I named subtlety that it's, you know, really effective. Uh, but it'd be a good move as a youth pastor. You should embrace that. That's actually really like a funny joke. I just like carry around a bat that just has subtlety written on it. And just, yeah, I honestly, that feels like something that you'd find in like a Wes Anderson movie or like, uh, like a, like a little gimmicky kind of thing. Yeah. Just like a subtle shot of like the handle of, uh, gun before they pull it out to like yeah. a point but the handle has subtlety written on it love it yeah i think that's hilarious God, Chase, we should be story creators yeah. oh my word uh but uh she sees a picture of a girl reading and then she sees a you know the next picture is her you know chanting something and reciting something and the third one that she has this incredible beauty beyond all mortals and she's so pretty and it's becoming so real and lifelike that she has to turn away from it and look at the other pictures. And they could have just left it here of just being taunt, like tempted by beauty. Yeah. But no. Which is like what the movie that I always forget exists of this does is just. It's okay to forget like, exists. Oh, I can see how pretty I would be. I'm looking into this mirror type thing and, oh, I look like Susan. That's kind of how it plays yeah. in, in the movie. It this like morphs her face. So much movie. further. This one goes, listen, it's not just comparison. Now, people are, they're, they're, there's a tournament for your hand. No, not a tournament. Wars. Wars between Kalerman and Narnia and Archenland and all the countries, including Terabinthia. Everyone forgets about Terabinthia, Chase. But well, there, there was a bridge. Yeah, there was a bridge. But then someone it's, fell the off. Bridge is, the bridge is gone. Don't worry about the bridge. <laughs> the bridge got washed away and we're not Don't worry about the bridge. Your childhood died. Don't worry. Don't worry about, about it. It's fine. But everyone's fighting wars to like get her hand uh, in marriage, and then she goes not like the whole world is you know brought into doom, and then she's back in England. And Susan, who had always been the beauty of the family, comes home from America, and she looks like an ogre. She's a troll. She's hideous, and she's so jealous of the dazzling beauty of Lucy because that's what matters most here. And Lucy's like. I'm going to say it. I know I shouldn't, but I want to. This is like, yeah, I want that. That looks Listen, great. Ending the world because of my beauty sounds dope. What a way to have the world end. Man, I want my beauty to be like a nuclear bomb. This, this kind of sounds like what might have happened or what could have happened with uh, the White Witch back on, uh, on Charn. Where it's like, listen, she just, as opposed to power, she just wanted beauty. You know, she's Galadriel, a queen, uh, uh, as opposed to a, a dark lord. They would have had a great and terrible, beautiful queen. I mean, Kel, this very week, <sighs> I have sent memes of Galadriel having her uh, all shall love me in despair moment. Would I rather be loved or feared? Both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Same. Gladriel, Michael Scott. Good quote. Did you just come up with that? Uh, I did. Uh, I got that. I came up with that quote on my own after watching Michael Scott say it, uh, probably being inspired by Galadriel. Uh, but she she sees Susan now hideous, 
And she's like, I'm going to say the spell. And, but then when she looks back, this is an interesting part. And I want to talk about this after the next one, uh, after the next temptation, because she looks back and as opposed to seeing anything else, she sees a lion. In fact, it's the lion. It's Aslan staring back at her. And you can tell that he's growling because he's upset with what she's about to do or what she wants to do. And so she doesn't do what she wants to do. And she turns the page. She stops. She says, okay, enough temptation for me. But then she goes to the second one, which, again, three and a half books of Lucy could have given her anything to struggle with. Pride, greed could have given her some doubt like, you know, Edmund had or at some point or, you know, could have given her some some depth here. Nope. I want to be pretty. And I want I want people to like me. I want to know what they think of me. Like she just goes she goes from comparison to gossip here. And so she sees a spell that will help will will let you know what your friends really think of you. And so she's like, fine, because I was so good and didn't say the last one because a lion stopped me from doing so. I am now going to say this one i deserve it and so she reads it and she sees two of her friends on a train and one of them who is mean and one of them who is her friend talking uh, about lucy and what the mean one basically convinces the other one to talk poorly of lucy because she doesn't want to be ill thought of uh, more or less and lucy gets really offended and you know doesn't want to see what everyone else thinks of her so she you know turns the page chase why did Aslan not stop her here? It, I mean, I'm less concerned with Aslan not stopping her than I am with Aslan looking angry. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, it, it, it's weird because this is a whole book. Basically, the book is temptation in a lot of ways, right? Which, I mean, it's it's the ability to have or be or obtain anything. And with that, like that is going to be a mirror that brings out whatever it is you're going to. Because she didn't stop for the, you could find treasure. That That's one or you could summon a swarm of bees. Yeah. She, she could have destroyed her enemy with bee stings. Um, <laughs> or had as much honey as she wanted. Yeah. She probably could have summoned a bear to carry her around the town while she eats her honey brought to her bear Winnie the Pooh, the crossover. But it's just weird. I don't understand why this is meant to be, hey, exercise self-control and, you know, how to fight temptation. Aslan stops her from the world destroying one, granted. Yeah, but I think that is the... The like the mercy of these two temptations of Aslan keeping her from the one that would destroy her, but allowing her to do the one that will teach her the lesson. Yeah. I don't hate that. I sure it's it's weird because like you peel back the the theology part of it, it, it all gets really wonky. Which oh yeah, we'll talk about the theology of this here when Aslan comes back. Yeah, why I don't love that he is angry in the first one. Like, I don't like that he's growling at her because that doesn't feel like how at least 
Jesus. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. But but yeah, so she gets butt hurt because her friends were talking about her, and she's real sad. So she just decides to keep going, and she comes to a section where it's a story, and she reads it, and it's beautiful. It brings her to tears, and it's the best story she's ever read. But the magic. This is where she realizes the magic of the book, which I both like and I'm a little confused about because it says you couldn't turn the pages backwards. You could only turn it forward. So only the right-handed pages can move, not the left. Is that the whole book or is that just that story? That's well, I think it's the whole book. I think once you pass something, you can't go backwards, but does this mean you can only, can you, can you only read through the book once? Like each person can only read through it once. Or could she just like go through the whole thing and then start over? She might be able to do that. I mean, my read on it was it's this particular story in the book because I mean, could be the, the whole spell of that story is like the spell is called for the refreshment of the spirit. It's not really even a spell. It's just a story and it's, so wonderful that she gets lost in it and it's this beautiful thing and we can talk more about that or actually I'll talk you will be in here further up and further in further up and further in but yeah it's I've got thoughts on on the meaning behind this story but just the fact that you can't go back to it makes it seem like it's not supposed to be that kind Mm -hmm. of get burnt out on something good like it's not supposed to be a drug it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be a healing drug not an addictive drug if that makes sense agreed so regardless that's the magic she can't turn back and she realizes she's forgetting what the story was but she remembers the feeling of it and so her whole life forward she only judges stories based on how much they reminded her of the story in the magician's book. But then Chase, we finally get to the point of the chapter that is actually the whole reason we were here. Oh, everything now move forward. Yes. Everything else that we've dealt with before this point means nothing. All the spells that we read, including the beauty one and the gossip one and the story literally have zero Mm -hmm. implications. Not not important. In fact, don't ask about it. That's not your story. Not your story. I don't know what would have happened. I honestly don't even remember what the story is, Chase. Uh, but I remember you what it's read like. it. Can't turn back. But she finally turns the page where she sees a spell to make hidden things visible. And it's it was kind of hard to see because, you know, it was hidden. Uh, it was invisible. But she, well, the page is more or less blank. The page is more or less blank, but she, you know, she begins to read the spell and as she does, bang, all of the things start to appear. It's like invisible ink being, uh, you know, revealed on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Everything makes sense now. Uh, And she goes, I suppose I've made everything visible and not only the thumpers, which I guess that's what we're calling them now. Uh, It says, I suppose I've made everything visible and not only the thumpers. but there might be lots of other invisible things hanging out about a place like this. I'm not sure I want to see them at all. And then wouldn't you know it, Chase, as soon as she says that, she starts hearing soft, heavy footfalls coming from the corridor behind her. And uh, Chekhov's open door 
comes into play because she turns around expecting to see the magician who we know because everyone knows because we just read it in this line right here. Yeah. The magician just, walks about in his bare feet making yeah. just like no we more. already knew that the invisible people are called the thumpers. Yeah. We already I mean, knew what kind of shoes the magicians well. None of them. None of them. And so she looks around expecting to see the magician and it's Aslan. Hurrah. The lion is here. He's not mad anymore. He is disappointed. He is a little disappointed. Uh, but we get to this point where the, the conversation we opened this podcast with, she goes, it was kind of you to come Aslan. And she says, I've been here. He says, I've been here all the time. You've just made me visible. And she says, Aslan, don't make fun of me as if anything I could do would make you visible. You know, as it did. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? Now, some implications of this. One, Aslan is always there. He is invisible until he either chooses to make himself visible or he is made visible by a book in which he wrote. I mean, I don't think that Aslan wrote the book. I think, think Aslan I obey my own rules. So I think Aslan create he created Narnia. He wrote the deep magic that underlies Narnia. Yeah. So any magic that works in Narnia would have to work with the rules of Aslan. So I don't think Aslan wrote this book in particular. I think okay. Aslan created the rules of magic that of visibility and that any spell in this case would work because he follows the laws of nature until he does it because of the magic system that he created. Yeah. Okay. I can get on board with that. Like, I don't think it's his handwriting in this book. Like okay, this isn't, this isn't that he doesn't Aslan. have thumbs chase. You right. Does he? I mean, he stands up on two legs. Apparently he crosses his hands. According his to, back. Yeah. According to the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. So the picture. Yeah. So I guess that, that makes me feel a little bit better because I was about to go. This immediately takes a lot of things into question because if you're making the theological comparisons between Aslan and Jesus, which you should always do because that's the intent, that would have meant that Aslan is tempting people to sin. Yeah, I I think that it's more of a I was there when the deep magic was written type thing. Okay. Like a lost okay. universe, not like he is the one who made the rules and if you can access the rules and like do the spell he's going to follow them because he's the one who made them up okay i can i can i can respect that i'll take that but now chase let's get to your gripe about grumpy aslan because he chides lucy for eavesdropping uh and saying hey that girl wasn't actually like you know she's not actually a bad friend she just said what she said because she was afraid of the other girl uh, and y'all probably could have been friends forever if you hadn't have eavesdropped. But I know your gripe is mainly with him being angry. Yeah, because the eavesdropping part, Aslan just says, child, I think you've been eavesdropping. He doesn't shame her. He points out the truth. Yeah. And then she comes to the conclusions that she comes to. But it's not a he doesn't even make her sit in that. He says it's impossible to know what would have been. There's 
it's more of a there's consequences to your choices type thing. The thing I don't like about the angry Aslan in the book is that I don't think that that is Aslan. Like, I don't think that would be Jesus's posture towards the Christian who is being tempted or even messing up if you mm-hmm. believe the gospel is once for all. Like, it's it's a posture thing in my mind. Yeah. And I think it's a very 1950s and like, I mean, it's the environment I was raised in, in Christian sure. circles to be like, well, you don't want to make God mad. Like yeah. what temptation is. I think grieved would be a better posture. Sure. Like Being I think grieved if that face had shown up sad, that would be more true to like, the Christian theology side of it, then right. God's mad at you because if, if we believe what we believe about the gospel, that would not be the posture of someone who's right. already in Aslan. The, the judgment does not come until the end. And the judgment has already been taken. Yeah. Which in Narnia, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing question because because anyone who does anything good does it in the name of Aslan. Yeah, that it's all going to get thrown into question. But that that is one of the complicated things about these books with Christian theology is because, like, C.S. Lewis is writing from a Christian perspective, from his own like views of various things. It's not the Bible. It, like, this is not the this is not canon. Text. Yeah. This is a story that takes on Christian themes and is explicitly trying to be an allegory for Christians. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair to have a gripe about Aslan, say, clawing at the back of a girl to give reciprocity to actions that she had yeah. formerly in The Horse and His Boy. Correct. And it's fair to question, well, is this the actual character of the God that C.S. Lewis is trying to represent in his posture towards someone who we know is one of his followers? Yeah. No matter how much 80% of preachers would have you believe C.S. Lewis, not inspired scripture. Amen. Amen. Uh, But we in the chapter with, uh, Aslan saying, no one knows what would have happened. And Lucy going, oh, Aslan, will I ever be able to hear that story or remember that story, that beautiful story ever again? Will you tell it to me, Aslan? And he says, indeed, yes, I will tell it to you for years and years. But now we must meet the master of the house. Master of the house. Chase, this story never gets told. What is the story? I have thoughts about that in my further up and further. Well, Chase, would you like to dive further up and further in for us then? I would love to dive. Um, But yeah, so this story, like, I like the, like, interesting things that C.S. Lewis is doing with this story that is not only the story to bring you comfort, but it's also the story that Aslan will tell you for years and years 
um, at some future date. Like my interpretation of this is that essentially the story is the gospel. Um, like, let me find the actual part of it. So the story is for the refreshment of the spirit. And it's a, uh, like this loveliest story that Lucy has ever heard in her whole life. She could have gone reading it forever. And uh, when she's trying to remember it, there's something about a tree on a green hill and a cup and a sword. And like, there's this imagery that kind of gives me like a, like, like cross and like cup of communion and like stuff like that, that, the promise of being told it for for years to come makes me feel like this is the story that is being told in Aslan's country. Um, that's kind of how I took the, I will tell you it for years and years. Um, like, it's not like this story is going to be withheld from Lucy by Aslan. It's something that he wants for her, the refreshment of her spirit. Um, so that's kind of how I took it. And from a Christian perspective, like the gospel, this reality that Christians believe that like Jesus has reconciled all things within himself through his death and resurrection and is inviting all things into that like new creation forever, including us, like that is the story that will be forever and ever like that is the story of all things and like the promise of his return is that we will see that story in fruition um but the the story you could hear over and over again for years and years and never get tired of it also knowing c.s lewis's story of hearing the quote-unquote true myth and the ring of that story being the thing that we fall in love with in stories like Harry Potter or Narnia or Lord of the Rings, like that story being the gospel, like that is the thing that whenever you hear a story that sounds like the gospel, that's how you know whether or not it's a good story that Lucy says for years to come. Like that's kind of the, the through line, the thread that I wanted to follow for my further up and further in. I love it. The true story, the good story. Uh, mine, uh, we've touched on it a little bit, but it's this trope in literature uh, of the, you know, the cost of beauty slash comparison. Uh, unfortunately, throughout history, you're going to see a lot of sexism related to this, where it's generally, um, you know, a, a female looking for uh, you know, beauty and uh, like this is a, a huge desire of hers. She has to meet some sort of cultural cultural norm and an expectation. Um, but that's, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. But you see this, uh, you know, in stories like Harry Potter with Hermione, uh, you know, wanting to to shrink her, uh, her buck teeth that she has in the first three books. Uh, in the fourth book, she shrinks them down. Uh, and it's uh, the third of the fourth book. Uh, well, she shrinks them. I think it okay, is the fourth. Uh, she shrinks them down so that she can look more normal and beautiful. And then, wouldn't you know it, in a few chapters uh, after this, she's going to be presented at the Yule Ball as gorgeous and, and resplendent. Uh, and this girl who was just bookish and smart and had character depth now is reduced to 
this idea of I want to seek beauty and you know that's her that's the thing um and then you have even like historically you have tropes like the uh the myth of uh of Helen of Troy of Epaphrodite and Paris where Paris is uh, the most beautiful man in the world and Aphrodite looks at him and says, okay, I'll give, because you're so beautiful, I'll give you a choice of these three things. One of them being, uh, you will be able to, uh, marry the most beautiful woman in the world, assuming that he is going to pick that one and assuming that that most beautiful woman is Aphrodite. And he picks that one, but he picks Helen of Troy. Uh, and this, uh, you know, angers Aphrodite and it causes a whole lot of, uh, you know, host of other issues. But the problem with that is Helen of Troy was actually Helen of Sparta. She was already married and, you know, Paris and her have an affair. He takes her away uh, to go live in uh, Troy with him uh, and his family. And, you know, Agamemnon takes advantage of this to start a war and take over Troy. So go, Helen, go. Uh, you started a war because of your beauty. Thanks a lot, Lucy. I mean, Helen. Uh, but you see this uh, this idea of beauty in comparison of wanting to be the most beautiful and having that uh, come into play. And there's always a cost of this. Uh, this, you know, this is the 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 evil queen in uh, Snow White wanting to be the fairest in the land and, uh, you know, willing to kill for this. Right. It's the trope you see in a lot of literature. And unfortunately, it's generally only impacting women uh, when in truth is like any guy will tell you comparison and body image and you know those standards of beauty are also a thing for men they just go very undiagnosed and untalked about because uh it's not a big deal uh to talk about them uh but it is a big deal internally but that is a trope in literature and you know it's something that comes up in this book uh with our you know best female protagonist that we've seen uh so that's just unfortunate but chase if there was a spell to make this podcast sweeter to your ears and uh, greater for you. Um, and if there was a spell to make this podcast reach the masses, I think what you what it would read is, you know, go follow us on Instagram and at the Chronicles of Podcast. Uh, go make sure that you uh, share this podcast with any of your friends anywhere you find them, uh, be that on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, uh, whatever. Go, la- go leave us a five-star rating. Uh, let us know how we can, you know, you know, include more things that you want to talk about as uh, the series continues. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that spell enacted in that way would would bring this you know podcast to the masses. Uh, but Chase, until then, uh, just keep trying to remember that story. And, uh, and as you do, uh, we're going to go and try to find the master of the house because uh, this this you know I, I don't think we're actually supposed to be here. Master of the house, keeper of the book. You uh, you do what you got to do for the podcast, Chase. And I am nothing if not committed to this podcast. I mean, pod is life. Uh, I've heard that. Pod is good pod all the time. Pod is good all the time, all the time. Pod is good. Amen. All right, preach. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap right. this up. Let's go. So, uh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the theme of this chapter, right? <laughs>